morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. Glad we have a warm place to be this morning. If you want to stand with me, we'll begin like we do every week to the call, with the call to worship. Um, again, just reminded why we're here, that we're to worship God, and, and that's enough. So if you're going to stand with me, um, if you want to read after me, I'll read the bold section if you'll read the non-bold. This is from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. (laughs) Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you want to remain standing and turn to the handout in your bulletin, we'll sing Rock of Ages.
Good morning. Exodus 20, 12 brings us to our fifth commandment. (coughs) Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You know, I, I think of that particular Uh, honor of mother and father. I was blessed with a loving family, loving mom and dad, so I've never had the experience that some have had to where they may struggle with that, that verse. There might be a struggle, not understanding. Um, They may not have had just the best of homes to be raised in. They didn't have a father that they that they could look up to and respect. They had a mom that maybe didn't uh, uh, treat them like moms should treat them. And uh, so I have a, a heart for those that are like that. And I try to remember that, that there are those who have not had uh, what I've had. And yet this command doesn't give a... a um, don't know what the word would be, an out, if you will. There's still a, we're still supposed to respect and hold up our fathers and our mothers, uh, regardless, I think. Um, I just think that's, a, that's important that we have to understand that uh, fathers and mothers, they need to be honored It's at some way, whatever best way you can, and of course that that comes by his grace anyway, right? So why don't you all pray with me this prayer of confession. Almighty God, creator of all things, every good gift comes from you. You have given us life and breath and everything, yet we have turned aside and gone after the desires of our flesh. We have often failed to honor the God-given authority in our life, whether in the home or outside. Forgive us, Lord, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to walk by the Spirit. Amen. If you want to remain standing, we'll turn to the song, Holy, Holy, Holy which is hymn number three.
John 8, 34 through 36 really goes along with uh, what Kendall's going to have to say in Romans 8. This is such a rich and deep uh, passage here, and it could have a sermon all by itself. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, <coughs> excuse me, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have adopted us as sons and daughters. That we could call you Father. We thank you, Lord, that you don't let us stay the way you found us. We thank you, Lord, that you <coughs> continue to work on us. We thank you, Lord, that you begin to put within us not the desires that we have of the flesh, but you start putting within us the desires that you have for us. And that as we grow and mature in you, Lord, that those desires will only become stronger and the things of the flesh will fall away that much easier. Be with us today, Lord, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the Orthodox Catechism today, what exactly are good works? And the answer is only those which proceed from a true faith are performed according to the law of God and for his glory and not that which is based on our imaginations or the in institutions of men. can be seated. Well, good morning again. Um, glad you're all here. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we'll be continuing our series through Romans 8 that we started last week. And we're going to spend eight weeks looking at um, chapter 8 of Romans 8. But, um, I was thinking this week, uh, I've been playing chess a lot lately. Some of you might know this. Um, I've been playing with Blake online, and we've had some fun with that. And I've been trying to teach my daughter this game. Um, yeah, Mabel. And it's a kind of hard game, right? But she's learning how to set up the pieces, and she's figuring it out. And she at least has fun with that part. But then we get into actual, actually playing the game. And, you know, <laughs> the bishop is doing what the rook should do, and the king is jumping out in front of everyone. And so some of the basics aren't there. And then sometimes, you know, she'll start to play my pieces. She'll forget that she's white or that she's black, and she'll start playing my pieces for me. And um, she forgets that there's two different pieces, right? You have one color, and the other person has the other color, and she just... I don't know. I don't know if she's colorblind or maybe we need to take her to a doctor, but, <laughs> you know, but it's a hard game. So I say all that because 
Last week, in the first four verses of chapter 8, we looked at this great statement from Paul that there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ, that God has done what the law could not do, right? He sent his son, he's brought full and complete pardon. But this week, Paul is going to draw out from the verses we looked at last week, the contrast. Because the question that he's sort of asking is, there's this promise, there's this certainty of full and complete pardon, of no condemnation. But the next question that should come to our minds is, who is that for? Who is this promise of God for? Is it for everyone? Is it um, this promise that everyone, regardless of if they believe or don't believe, will receive this pardon? Or is there a difference? Is there a contrast? Just like on the chessboard, there's a difference between the white pieces and the black pieces. Paul is going to bring out the contrast between those that have no condemnation because of the work of Christ and those that are in condemnation. Those that are of the flesh is the language that he'll use this week. Those that are in the spirit. Those that um, are in death, as he'll say, or those that have life. And so he will prove this week that salvation is certain and full for those that are in Christ. But he'll do that by by this contrast that I said. And we'll see that this is not just for special Christians. It's not just for people that have had special religious experiences, but it is for all believers. And so I'll read the passage this morning. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll look at the passage. So this is really a continuation of last week. And I'll, I'll begin at verse 3, just so we have a little context. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then our verses for this week. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would help us. That we are in great need. Would you help us to not only sit under your word this morning, under the heavy and weighty truths that you have for us, but would you help us by the power of your spirit to see the great depths of our sin and depravity, but also to see the great glory and grace of God in Christ saving us. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. Our eyes are dim and our flesh is strong. Would you help us this morning to trust in you and would you, would you empower the proclamation of your word this morning? We pray all these things 
In your son's name, amen. Amen. So, these are heavy words this morning. But last week we saw, we saw, we saw one thing mainly. What was that? That was God's great grace in justifying sinners. We saw that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That God has done what the law could not. We, saw, we talked about this triune work of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sending the Father, sending the Son. The Son accomplishing redemption. And the Spirit applying redemption to God's people. So this is God's grace in justifying sinners. And then this week we're going to see God's power in sanctifying believers. And we talked about it through this lens of contrast between those that are in the flesh and those that are in the spirit. Those that are in death and those that have life. And if we don't do this, you know, it's kind of hard. We don't like to look at these things. We don't like to look at the depths of sinful man. But if we don't do this rightly, we cannot see the glory and the depths of what God has done in Christ. So we're going to do that, like I said, through contrasting the flesh and the spirit. And we'll start this week, we'll focus mainly on those in the flesh. And we'll touch a little bit on those in the spirit. And then next week, our passage will focus mainly on what it means to be in the spirit. So first, we'll look at those in the flesh. Those in the flesh. What does this mean? We don't really use this language a lot. Sometimes you hear people say, I saw this person in the flesh, right? I saw Bobby Flay at the airport in the flesh, or I think I saw him there once. Um, so we use it like that. You know, I saw this person in the flesh. It just means to see them in their humanity or whatever you want to say. Or sometimes we think of this flesh as just our earthly, worldly needs, right? We are flesh. We need warmth. We need food. We need water. We need shelter, all these things. That's not what Paul means here. That's not what he's saying when he says in the flesh. When he says in verse 5 that those who live according to the flesh. What does, so what does this mean? What does it mean to be in the flesh? We can say with confidence as we see the rest of the scriptures that to be in the flesh in the way Paul uses it, it's to be in our sinful nature. To be in sinful nature. It's to be corrupt in who we are. It's the natural state of man, as some would say. And so, we've talked about this before. Adam and Eve were created in this state of righteousness and holiness. They had perfect communion with God. There was no sin. There was no space between them and God, if you want to think about it like that. But what happens? Adam and Eve sin. They fall into sin. And they lose their communion with God. They lose their righteousness and thrust themselves and everyone after them into sin and death and destruction, right? So this has come to all people. And so it's not just, to be in the flesh is not just corrupt in our thoughts, right? It's to be corrupt even in our actions. It's not just to be corrupt externally with the things that we do, right? You know, we can think of outward, openly egregious sins, but it's even to be corrupt in our in our very nature and motivations, the things that compel us to do what we do. And our confession is helpful here. In chapter 6, um, paragraph 2, it says this, Our first parents, by their sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin. 
and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. So just reiterating what we've said, that to be fallen, to be in the flesh, to be in our corrupt nature is to be wholly defiled (laughs) in not only our body, but our soul, right? And this is, you know, sometimes mischaracterized as that means, does that mean people are as bad as they could be? No, it just means that every part of us, both our body, right, sin, death, destruction, cancer, all these things are results of sin, but also our soul, right? Those things that motivate us, that compel us, every part of us is corrupt. And so what Paul is saying here is that those that are in the flesh are unbelievers. They are those that do not believe in God. They have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They are, he is referencing fallen man. Those that are in the flesh are those that are fallen. And I say that because some would say that those that are in the flesh here in Romans 8 refers to what they would call a carnal Christian. In the King James Version, it says those that are carnally minded. And so they say this is someone that is a carnal Christian. What's a carnal Christian? They would say it's someone that has believed in God, but isn't following him, right? That's maybe prayed a prayer when they were younger, but isn't living for God. And they would say that that person is still a Christian. Maybe you've heard it like this. You know, I've made Jesus my savior. He saved me from my sins, but he hasn't, he's not Lord of my life, right? I haven't given everything to him. And this is to make two types of Christians. It's to make two levels of Christianity. Those that are spiritual, those that are good Christians, and those that are bad Christians that do whatever they want. And we don't see these categories in Scripture. This is what we would say is not biblical. But we don't want to... There's, there's some truth to that, right? There is different levels of maturity in Christians, right? Paul talks about Christians that are mature in their faith and those that need spiritual milk. They need to be nourished, right? So there's, there's different levels of maturity. We can agree there. It's not like if someone sins, then they're cast out of the church or anything like that. But there is a difference between... God's long-suffering and our long-suffering with one another and licentiousness. Or we could say it like this. There's a difference between us being patient with someone's sin and letting them do whatever they want. Hopefully that makes sense. So um, all that to say, there's just those out there that would say, you can be a Christian and still do whatever you want. Um, We would reject that. So Paul here is speaking about those that are in the flesh is fallen man. It is man that has been corrupted, that by the fall has been cast into sin. And so he says in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Again, this is not just our earthly needs. To set your mind on the flesh is not to be worried about how you're going to pay your bills or how you're going to provide food for your family. Those are good things. (laughs) That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying that fallen man is minded only on the things of the flesh, right? You could call this worldly wisdom, as Paul Bunyan might say. It is to be only focused on the desires of the flesh. What are these desires of the flesh? Paul, in the book of Galatians, he doesn't leave us hanging here. In chapter 5, he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to these. It's very interesting, the range of things. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. What comes to our mind when we think of works of the flesh? Paul gives us 
a list here. These are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident. They're easy to see. They're not difficult. That fallen man is inwardly minded and therefore the things that he does come from that, right? He is set on the flesh. He is living according to the flesh because his mind is set on the things of the flesh. And then moving into verse 6, we see the end of these things, right? Paul has said that the mind that is set on the flesh lives according to the flesh, right? This is what is produced But what is the end of these things? Paul gives us the answer. He says in verse 6, For for to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the flesh is death. So, fallen man in his humanity sets his mind on the flesh. He produces death. But the end of those things is also death. It's almost hard to think of another way to say it. That... Paul here is saying the mind that is set on the flesh, fallen man, not only produces death in all that he does, right? We talked about that last week. The law over us doesn't help us want to obey God. It just creates sin and death in us because we don't obey it or we add to it and we try to make other people be like us. And it only produces death. And we know this because in other places in Romans, what's it say The wages of sin is death. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And so this is a problem. (laughs) That fallen man who is set on the flesh is not only producing death in all he does, but the end of these things is death. And you might ask why. Why, why Why to set on the flesh, why is that death? Why does Paul say this? And he gives us the answer, really, in verse 7. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh, for the, sorry, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That the mind that is set on the flesh, fallen man, is hostile to God. At enmity with God, as some translations say. It does not submit to God's law because it cannot. That's heavy. That's heavy. Paul here is saying that the unbeliever is at enmity with God. Does not submit to God's law because it cannot. And this, as some pastors would say, is a real cannot. It's not just a... Fake cannot. It is a real cannot. The mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God. And this is difficult. This is difficult because we don't like this, right? Um, It's not just that fallen man doesn't submit to God's law. It's that fallen man cannot. What does the prophet Jeremiah say? He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his own spots? No. No. He says, you who are evil, can you then do good? Paul 
is bringing up some of this language from the Old Testament that the Ethiopian cannot change his skin, that the leopard cannot change his spots. And this is difficult for a lot of people. And this should be difficult. We should feel the weight of this, right? Can God command something? We've been going through the Ten Commandments in our confession of sin. What are those? Those are commandments. Those are things that God tells us to do. Love the Lord your God. Obey your father and mother, right? Honor them. Those are commands. It's not a choice whether we want to do those or not. Those are commands from God. But then we just read in Paul, it says, those that are in the flesh cannot submit to God's law. So is God commanding us to do something that we can't do? And is that unjust of God to command us to do something that we cannot do? Or to put it another way, don't we have free will? Don't we have free will to do what we want? And my answer might surprise you. The answer is yes, right? We have a whole chapter in our confession on free will. What is free will? It is the ability to act upon choice. It is to not be coerced by an outside force. It is to act upon choice. And so, yes, we do have free will. We're not robots. Our confession makes that clear. We are not robots. But there's one problem. It's that our wills are bound to our nature. That's a weird philosophical way to say that. Um, What does Jesus say in Matthew? He says, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. What does that mean? It's from the wellspring of who we are is what comes out of us. You can't tape good fruit to a bad tree. It's just going to rot and die. What comes out of us, what we choose to do is based on who we are inside. And like Paul has said, we are fallen. We are in the flesh. And so because of Adam's sin... We are not neutral. We are not, you know, like Switzerland. We don't just get to pick a side, right? Because of Adam's sin, we are bound. We are, as Martin Luther would say, slaves to our sin. He wrote this great book called The Bondage of the Will. He's saying that our wills are bound. And we are slaves to sin, as we read this morning in our Confession of Faith. He who practices sin is a slave to sin. So we are slaves to our sin. And what, what's a slave? A slave is someone that has to obey his master. A slave doesn't get to choose, right? <laughs> They're not free. A slave is forced to choose. Uh, sorry, is not forced to choose. It's forced to do what the master says. And so we are slaves. And much like the people of Israel... Right? If you think back to the book of Exodus, what's going on in Exodus? The people are enslaved. Right? For 400 years, they've been enslaved in Egypt. If you read the first chapter, it says that they've been afflicted, that these burdens have been placed on them. Make brick without straw, all these things. The people are enslaved in Egypt. But what happens? God raises up a deliverer, Moses. He saves him from death as a child, right? Pharaoh tries to kill all the firstborn. He raises up this deliverer, Moses. And he does signs and wonders that prove that he is God's deliverer, right? Think about all the the staff turning into a snake. 
God all does all these plagues through Moses to show that God is with this man, that Moses is his deliverer. And what happens? Moses leads the people out of Egypt through this great exodus, this great exodus, right? We have Passover. We have the lamb whose blood is spilled, placed on the doorpost. People are led through the Red Sea. They go into the promised land. They're saved from their enemies. Enemies. Why do I say all this? What does this have to do with us as fallen man in our fallen nature? We, like Israel, are enslaved. The Israelites could not save themselves out of Israel. They couldn't walk out of Israel. They would be killed. <laughs> they, they didn't have a choice. And so how are we to be saved? If we are slaves to our sin and our own devices, how are we to be saved from our sin and our misery? God has raised up another deliverer. There's been a greater exodus. It's really interesting. In Jeremiah, the prophets look forward and Jeremiah specifically says that there will come a day when you will look back on the exodus in Egypt, which was the greatest redemptive act of God in the Old Testament. There will be a day when you look back on that and you'll forget about it because there will be a greater act of redemption. That's amazing. So what is this greater act of redemption? We who were slaves not to physical Egypt, but to our sin and to death. God has raised up another deliverer who was also saved from death as a child. If you remember, Herod tried to kill all the firstborn sons. This same deliverer also performed signs and miracles to prove that he was God's sent messenger. He underwent the waters of baptism, as we've talked about before. He was the perfect lamb of God. And he brought his people, not through the Red Sea, but to the heavenly promised land, right? He, through his death on the cross, through his blood being spilt, has worked a greater redemption and saved us not from earthly slavery, but from our slavery to sin and death. And so the answer is, how are, the answer to how are we to be delivered is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That God has done what we could not. He has sent a greater deliverer. He has saved us from our sin, from our slavery. And he has done this by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ coming and accomplishing redemption, what do we talk about in the book of Acts? What's the first thing he does? He sends out his spirit. He applies the work of redemption to God's people. And we'll, we'll touch on this more next week, but it says in verse 6 that for those that set their mind on the Spirit, there is life and peace. And so even though we feel the weight of our sin, even though we know that in our fallen human nature, we are hostile to God, those that have been saved, that have believed in God's greater deliverer, they have life. We're no longer bound to death we now have life through Christ and the Spirit. And we now have peace with God. Where before there was hostility and enmity, we have peace with God. And so this is Romans five or 8, 5 through 8. Where we see not only the greatness of our sin and death and our, our helplessness, but we also see God's great work by the Spirit to save us and redeem us. So couple things this morning before we go. How should we respond to this? What should be um, the response of our heart? 
The first thing is to behold the better Moses. To behold the better Moses. That God has done what the law could not. Right? Not even Moses entered the promised land because of his sin. Who entered the promised land? Joshua. (laughs) You could pronounce that Yeshua or Jesus. It's very interesting. So Christ is the better Moses. He's the better Joshua who has done what the law could not. He's worked a greater redemption, right? He has come and tabernacled among us. He has led us through redemption, not to an earthly promised land, but to a heavenly one where we have peace with God and peace with God through the Spirit. So behold the better Moses. And secondly, we see the greatness of our need. We see the greatness of our need. We are pretty messed up. <laughs> we like to hide it. We like to put on a good face. Maybe we post pretty pictures on Instagram. I'm guilty of this, right? We want everyone to see that we have it all together. But inwardly, we know that we are messed up, that we need help, that left to our sin and our flesh, we cannot work our way to God. And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3? Nicodemus has seen the great work of God in these miracles, and he tells Jesus that he's a great teacher. But what does Jesus say? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What does that mean? That means that we need an act of God, (laughs) right? We can't even see the kingdom, let alone enter it, until we are born again, until the Spirit blows where it wishes. And so this hurts us. We like to, we're good Americans. We like to, you know, pull up our bootstraps and get to work. But really, left to our own devices, we need to rely on God and not ourselves. And so we see our great need that even though we cannot do this work, we have been given hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And so even though it's difficult to look at our sin, to look at our fallen state, It's necessary because it shows us the greatness of God's grace. And that brings us to the last point that once we've seen how great our need is, how helpless we are before God, then we can see the true glory and the deliverance of what God has done in Christ, right? We were hopeless. We were helpless. We were hostile to God. It's not just that we didn't like God or we were kind of indifferent, right? We were actually hostile to God. And so God has done what we could not. And so... I wanted to touch on this because, you know, it can be easy, those that have a soft conscience, we can see these words of those that are in the flesh or those that are in the spirit, and we can say, "Uh, am I in the spirit? You know, I struggle with my sin. I have difficult seasons where I don't feel like I'm in the spirit, whatever that means. You know, I struggle with my flesh. Sometimes I fall into sin, and I have maybe even months where I go and I I'm struggling, right? And so should our response be every time we struggle, should we just question our salvation? Should we just look inward as we talked about last week and just say, I just need to work harder. I just need to do better. I just need to this, this, this. How do we handle those moments when we succumb to the flesh, when we give in to our desires? What should we do? We should run to Christ as we talked about last week. We should look to him this better Moses who saves us. We should 
look outside of ourselves. We should confess our sins like we do every week. The reason we do this liturgy, you know, one reason is because we feel like we're commanded to do it, but it's also to see a pattern of how we're to live our lives. When we struggle with sin, we shouldn't just beat ourselves up. We should confess our sins before God because he promises to pardon us. We should run to Christ. We should be reminded of the great assurance that God has given us. And as we saw in verse 1 last week, what does he say? There's therefore now no condemnation. That's true. (laughs) The believer in Christ, there's no condemnation. So we need to look to Christ. We need to look outside of ourselves. And even though we're helpless, God has made a way. And I wanted to read this quote from from The Bondage of the Will that... um, is this book by Martin Luther. We're actually going to sing a song written by Martin Luther as we close. But I just wanted to read this quote as he talks about, even though we are helpless, how that's a good thing and how we need to look to Christ. He says this, I should not want my will to be given to me, nor anything to be left in my own hands to endeavor after salvation. Not merely because in the face of so many dangers and adversities and assaults of the devil, I could not stand my ground, but because even were there no dangers, I should still be forced to labor with no guarantee of success. But now that God has taken salvation out of my hands and put it under his control and promised to save me, not according to my working or running, but according to his own grace and mercy, I have the comfortable certainty that he is faithful and will not lie to me, and that he is also great and powerful, so that no devils or opposition can break him or pluck me from him. Furthermore, I have the comfortable certainty that I please God, not by reason of the merit of my works, but by reason of his merciful favor promised to me, so that if I work too little or badly, he does not impute it to me, but with fatherly compassion pardons me and makes me better. This is the glorying of all the saints in their God. It's a long quote, but what's he saying? That we need to rely on God. And this is the Christian's hope. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our ability. It's in the work of God through Christ. And that's why we come here, to hear the gospel, to be assured that those that are in Christ have pardon. And those that don't are called to repent. And that leads perfectly into the Lord's Supper that we've um, began doing. And what is the Lord's Supper? It's a time where we're reminded of God's great promise that those that are in Christ have full assurance of pardon. That Christ has come, taken the punishment that we deserved, his body broken, his blood spilled, so that we might be made right with God. And so this is good news. We call this a means of grace. We're to look back to the past. We're to now proclaim Christ's death and we're to look forward to his coming again. And we do something called fencing the table, where those that are not believers, those that have not professed their faith in Christ, we ask that you would, you know, remain seated and ponder these things and really contemplate them. But for those that are believers, that those that have professed their faith in Christ, 
are called to come, to partake. And we're both to confess our sins, right, as we've talked about, but we're also to come rejoicing, knowing that God has pardoned us. So we look at our sin, but we don't stay there. We look to Christ. We look to his finished work. So we're reminded of our Lord's words on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and the cup and he blessed them and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come this morning. We'll just form a line in the middle. Take the bread. Take the wine. um, Come back to your seats and we'll partake together. So come. So, take the bread, remember, eat, and believe that the Lord Jesus was crucified for the forgiveness of all your sins. Take the cup of wine, just as it is a living thing, Christ's living blood was spilled so that we also might have life. Amen. If you want to stand with me, we'll respond with singing the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress.
with our tithes and offerings, so whether you've given online through the website or give physically, we're told that giving back to God a portion of what he's given us is an act of worship, and so um, we'll just take a minute, we'll pray over the offerings, and then we'll thank God for his provision and grace. 
Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we are very blessed. (laughs) Um, Not just with spiritual things, but with earthly things, Lord. You've given us a warm place to be and um, food to provide for our families. We pray that in giving a portion back of what you've given us, um, that you would receive these gifts um, and use them for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom, Lord. Um, We thank you for your provision, and we ask that you would... um, Multiply these gifts uh, according to your will. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 If you want to stand with me, we'll close with singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye. from Romans 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace as you go.